Amen. Thank you very much. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John, chapter 20. I'd like to speak to you this morning about God's exclamation point. I'm on an email list with a lot of pastors. Actually, there are about 300 of them. One pastor friend in Houston, Texas, has a church there. Uh, every time he writes on the email list, he uses more exclamation points than he does words. He'll say, hi, John, exclamation points. It just runs on. Well, Jesus made an exclamation point with the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, of course, that's John, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we, the other women that, who was, that were with her, do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there and he did not go in. Uh, and Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then this other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. And as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now in my Bible, the scripture is mentioned there by the editor of the Bible. It is Psalm 1610. They didn't make that connection. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Uh, Peter and John said, listen, I've seen enough, I'm going home. But Mary lingered. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and she uh, wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And down in verse number 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Take this message. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is God's exclamation point. Whenever Jesus first was ministering and began to do his miracle working power, he went to the wedding of Cana of Galilee and then he came to the Passover in Jerusalem. And he saw all this merchandising being done in the temple and he drove the people out. He said, listen, my father's house is not a house of merchandise. You're not supposed to be doing this here. It's actually a house of prayer. He drove them out and they approached him and they said, listen, by what authority do you do this? Show us, if you do have the authority to, to do what you're doing, show us a miracle. 
Give us one of your miracles. And Jesus made this statement in John chapter 2. If you tear down this temple in three days, I will build it up again. They didn't know what he was talking about. They said, listen, it's taken us 46 years to create this temple on, on the top of this mountain. We've been continually uh, renovating it for a period of 46 years. How are you going to build it up in three days? And the Bible says that Jesus was referring to his body. And so Jesus was saying early in his ministry that at the end of his ministry, they would see the mighty convincing miracle that God wanted the whole world to see. And so John chose seven miracles out of the innumerable, almost innumerable amount of miracles that Jesus performed and laid them out in the book of John. One, two, three, four, five, seven. And saved the big one for last, the resurrection. How do we know that the resurrection is for real? It's authenticated. Well, we know, first of all, because there is an open tomb and an empty tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene is the first person mentioned. There were others with her, though, when she went that morning. But it seems like the Lord wants you and me to keep her in our mind because she is an exhibit A of what God can do in a person's life. Exhibit A. What can God do in the life of a person? Well, just look at Mary Magdalene. I want you to look at her. She was an early riser. She was from a place called Magdala. You know, I've heard a lot of people say that they have demons inside. We just use this kind of as a figure of speech. You know, my demons inside, they mean, well, you know, I have some addictions or I have some problems in my life. But let me say to you today that she had the real thing. She had seven demonic spirits that Jesus cast out. And she was so eternally grateful that she wasn't about to let Jesus go without knowing what was going on here. That's why she was here. Her mission was to anoint the body of Jesus. And uh, when the women who were with her were going to do that early in the morning, they were having this discussion, and we had it in our, our church play the other night. And they were saying, listen, who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? And when they got there, they were surprised that it had already been done. And so she sounded the alarm. She ran back to talk to the disciples and said, listen, the tomb is empty. They've taken away the Lord. And uh, she had a lot of love, but she didn't have much faith in the resurrection. She just thought that somebody had taken the body of Jesus. And then there were the guards. Uh, they thought they had everything pretty well in order until an angel showed up. And that's, that's given to us in Matthew chapter 28. An angel showed up and rolled back the stone. And the Bible says that the guards were so fearful that they be fell down like dead men. That's the reaction if an angel ever comes your way. That, that could be your reaction too. Uh, they just fell down like a dead man. Uh, they were sworn to keep this tomb secure. They weren't going to fall asleep. And so they ran back into town and they told the story. The stone was rolled away. An angel came the tomb is empty, uh, and the lie was hatched. What are we going to say now? Well, let's just say that the disciples came to steal the body. And that is perpetuated to this day. If you ask many people in the world, they say, listen, the disciples came and stole the body away. 
That's the story to tell. And then what happened is they gave them a lot of money to make sure that they kept their mouth shut. Nobody, nobody said anything. Someone said one time that money has a, sometimes has a lot to do with theology. And, uh, and so they gave them a lot of money and they created this, uh, this lie. And they said, listen, you, you keep your mouth shut. Uh, we'll do what we can do and this thing will blow over. That was the first proof of the resurrection. It would have been impossible, humanly impossible, to get that open because these guards were sworn uh, with their life to keep that tomb secure. Uh, the second proof is the grave clothes. Peter and John went in and they saw these clothes, and it was an orderly departure. Uh, this wasn't a grave robbery. Uh, these were empty grave clothes lying there, just like the body evaporated out through these grave, grave clothes. And uh, beside that, there was this additional folded napkin. I don't think that if anybody was going to rob the grave, they were going to take time to fold up this, this head covering and put it in a separate place. Uh, no, uh, this was Jesus uh, re-inhabiting that body and fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy in Psalm 16.10. Let's read this together this morning. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The body of Jesus was in the tomb just for a very short period of time and did not see corruption. Uh, this is one of the proofs of the resurrection. These grave crows were in order Jesus did just evaporate right, right through, left those clothes behind in an orderly way. Another proof of the resurrection are the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. First of all, he appeared to Mary. She stays around. Remember, Peter and John went home. They'd had enough. They wanted to go to sleep, I guess. Uh, she stayed around. She wouldn't be denied. And she interacted with the angels. You know, seldom does someone encounter an angel in the Bible without demonstrating fear. Mary did. Mary had something else on her mind. He, she had Jesus on her mind. And uh, Jesus said, listen, don't cling to me. She didn't want to lose him again. And you know, the fact that Jesus makes a woman the first witness of the resurrection is significant because, here's the reason, the law courts of that day would not recognize the testimony of a woman. But Jesus did. This also argues for the historic truth of the account. If someone fabricated the story, would they, wouldn't they make the first witness one of the most credible persons in the world? Not someone who couldn't even testify in a court. Well, we're told of five appearances of Jesus on Resurrection Day. First of all, to Mary Magdalene. Secondly, to the other women. Thirdly, to the two people on the road to Emmaus then to Peter, and then to the ten disciples, Peter or Thomas was absent. The Gospel of John tells us of two of these appearances, to Mary Magdalene and then to the ten. Look with me to verse number 19 this morning in John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I love that statement. 
And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's an understatement right there. Uh, if we really probably had the full story, there's no telling what it would be like. But it's abbreviated here. They were glad. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as my Father has sent me, I send you. He said, I was on a mission, now I'm transferring the mission to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting. If you uh, look on the computer this afternoon, which I know many of you will, Look up a person named Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y. He was a lawyer in Rome back around 100 A.D. He was uh, uh, the version of Saul of Tarsus, persecuting the church, interrogating Christians, sentencing them to death, torturing them. And he wrote a lot of information, and a lot of it is still available today. But in his writing to Trajan, the Roman emperor, he was giving an account of Christians, and he says this. He says, these Christians like to meet together on a stated day before it's light, nighttime, and sing among themselves a hymn to Christ as God. This is around 100 AD. Christians were gathering together. They were singing to Christ as God. They got the message. Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. True Christians will always love to meet together for worship. You know that? Nothing will prevent this. Uh, one of the evidence of spirituality is a desire to assemble, to hear the word of God, to offer prayers to him in praise. Well, you know, they love to get together. And these people would constitute what we call today the body of Christ on earth. And this is the entity through which Christ would do his work. And you and I today are living proof of this. 2,000 years removed from that event, we do love to get together. And we do love to fellowship together. And we do love to pray together. And we do love to worship the Lord. And whenever we come to Christ, he puts this desire in our heart. It's given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 12:7 is one of my favorite verses. And you're saying, you always say this is your favorite verse. You have more favorite verses. I do. I'm sorry. Let's read this together. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Whenever we accept Christ as our Savior, he sends his spirit to live in our heart. And he gives us a spiritual gift or plural spiritual gifts so that we can be of help to the entire church. That means we all work together. We all have a little part. I have my little part. You have your little part. We put all the parts together. And if everything is running on all the cylinders, that's for the car guys back there, all the cylinders, uh, the entire church is built up. And I call that the spirit working through us. That's what God wants to do with our church and every church. He wants to take his Holy Spirit in your life and work through you to the church. He wants you and me to be a blessing to each other. Does that make sense? He wants you and me to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to lift us up. It's the Spirit working through us. We can't do it in the flesh. We're prone to do the opposite in the flesh. But in the Spirit, we can do this. 
Uh, it's worthy, though, of remark that this is the first assembly that was convened for worship on the Lord's Day. And that assembly, in that assembly, Jesus was present. And that day, the Lord's Day, has been observed ever since. Now, whenever Jesus came on this evening of resurrection, we presume, I'd say we like to presume, that he walked right through the door. I presume, again, that the doors were locked. If I were there in Jerusalem, they would be barricaded because they killed Christ and I was next on the list. And so here we are, we're Christians, we're huddling, we're afraid. Jesus is uh, reportedly alive, but we don't know for sure. But we do know for sure that they kill people. And uh, we could be next. And so here comes Jesus, and uh, the resurrected body are different. He comes into the room, probably through the door, and he shows them his, his markings. Uh, resurrected bodies are different. Now, most of the people I know are looking real forward to a resurrected body. Amen? How many people are? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's everybody over 45. Now, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul said something about a resurrected body in Philippians 3.21. Let's read it. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything, everywhere. Isn't that incredible? A new body for you and me. I can't walk, wait to walk through my first door. A new body. Well... That's the resurrected body. And Paul says, that's the kind of body you're going to have. That's the kind of body I'm going to have. Jesus came on the scene, and uh, his first message was peace to you. I like that. Because whenever a person has Christ in the midst, they have peace. It's a wonderful thing to have peace in life, isn't it? People in our world do not have peace in their heart. In fact, the Bible tells us what they do have in their heart, and it's found in Isaiah 57, 20, and 21. It goes like this. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Uh, their life is like uh, a disruption all the time, an angry sea. This is their life. A quest to find calmness, tranquility, peace. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 4, that men should be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And people have this mistaken idea that if they can have more pleasure, they could be happier and they could be more peaceful and calm. But oftentimes it just works in reverse. The more we get sometimes, the more unhappy we are and the more upset we are. Well, I discovered this wonderful verse many years ago. It's in Colossians 2:10. You notice I said wonderful, not my favorite again. <laughs> I'll just keep changing it. Okay, let's read this together. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, I love this. Whenever a person has Christ as their savior, they're complete. I call it the peace of completeness. 
Because I think before Christ, everybody's always looking for something. You know, what's wrong with my life? Why am I so messed up on the inside? Why can't I ever get really happy? Why can't I ever have peace and contentment and all this stuff? What's wrong with me? Well, I'll tell you, there is a place in everyone's life that's built for God. And nothing will fill that but God. Nothing. And when we truly open our heart, not, not casually, not superficially, but as one of our young men said recently, he refers to his new birth as transformation. Transformation. When I was transformed. When we have a transformation of Christ... And not just Christianity or churchanity or just going through the motions. I'll tell you what, the Lord will fill our life with his completeness. And what that means is we won't need anything else. We don't have to go anywhere else to be filled. We won't have to have anything more to be filled. Because when we have Christ, we have everything. He's the completer. He completes our life. It's the peace of completeness. Uh, now, this is given to us through Christ, his person in our life. And he purchased this for us upon the cross. The payment he paid was on the cross. He died there so that your sins could be forgiven. I call that the peace of forgiveness and cleansing. You know, to know that there is nothing between you and God is a wonderful thing. You know, that you can lay your head down on the pillow at night and say, listen, it's okay. God and I are in good shape. There are no barriers because, you know, sin separates from God. Uh, but when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to have no barriers between us and God. Um, and uh, the peace of forgiveness, completeness. Now, my message to you today is this. Are you complete? Do you have forgiveness? If not, that's the missing piece. That is the missing piece. You know, the world will offer you everything and they won't produce on their offer. They have a good sales department, but poor maintenance. They can't, they have no maintenance product. Uh, when Jesus comes into your life and you have transformation, you'll be a new person. You'll be changed from the inside out. And I can imagine Jesus coming there in this church assembly and said, Peter, listen, I know you denied me, but listen, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And I know all you men went away when I was being crucified, but you're forgiven too. And you know what that teaches me? That teaches me that God uses imperfect people. Don't you think he does? He's got nothing else to work with, does he? I mean, there's just nothing else out there. God uses imperfect people. And every single person I know, myself included, really is in that category. We're all very imperfect, aren't we? And so God looks at Peter, and certainly he's proven himself to be imperfect. And I've proven myself to be imperfect, and so have you. But God uses imperfect people. And he says, now listen to these imperfect people. I have a mission for you. I'm going to send, even as my Father has sent me, I'm sending you out. I believe that we are his evangelists in the world. That means on your job, you're the guy. On your job, lady, uh, ladies, you're the, you're the women. We are his evangelists. 
We are his arms, we are his eyes, and we are his feet, and we are his heart. And, and uh, he said, listen, as my father sent me into the world, I'm sending you there too. And then he says this. I, I like this. this is, and this is like a little hidden nugget right here. Look at it. Verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I just have a few things to say about this. This, let's parallel this to God creating man in the beginning. When God created man in the beginning, he breathed the breath of life into them. And now he is breathing the Holy Spirit, a recreation. Not the creation, the recreation. He's breathing again into these men spiritual life. Now watch. Spiritual life. I'm sending you on a mission, and I'm giving you spiritual life to carry that mission out. Power to perform the mission. Whenever we're born again today, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See right here, they received the Holy Spirit. It was a gift. He just gave it to them. Uh, he said, listen, you're going to need this. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit, you can do the work of God. And when the Holy Spirit has you, you can do the work of God. One of the great proofs of the resurrection, of course, is not only the, uh, all these appearances, but it's the proof of the transformation of the lives of the believers. These people were fearful, but very soon they're going to be fearless. When you have the Holy Spirit in your life, I'll tell you what, uh, you and God are a majority in every situation. Every situation. And, and I know that sometimes you're fearful to stand up and take your place for Christ, but I'm here to, to remind you this morning of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Much greater. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, uh, Jesus is resurrected from the grave. The napkin was left behind, which means that uh, Jesus is not finished yet. Jesus is alive in heaven. We all affirm that, right? He's alive on the earth. We all affirm that. Listen, the greatest affirmation is Jesus alive in you, in you. And if you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life, I want to invite you to do that today. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. You may, you may never get this close to the kingdom of God be again in your life. And so if you need Christ today, I want to invite you to embrace him. Because he's looking for a lot of imperfect people. And you just happen to be one. He's looking for a lot of people are burdened down with sin and brokenness. And somebody told me one time, well, you know, I'll come to the Lord uh, when I get my life straightened out. Please don't ever wait on that. Don't ever wait on that. Bring to him your broken pieces. 
and let him put your life together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus is alive. He is alive in heaven. He's alive on earth. And he wants to be alive in you because the scripture says that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. We can't see Christ, but we know he's alive because we see him in other people. We know him al he's alive because we have the proofs of the resurrection. He appeared to all these people after he was resurrected. And uh, he wants you to be a testimony to his transforming power. And so I invite you to open your life to Christ this morning in this church. Don't wait for next Easter. Next Easter may never come for you. Don't wait for next week. That may never come for you. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. This is the only time you may have. And so I want to invite you to invite Christ into your heart. Right there in your seat, make your heart an altar and say, Lord, cry out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've broken your law. I've offended your holiness. I accept your forgiveness that you purchased for me on the cross. Send your Holy Spirit. I'm trusting in you and you alone as my Savior. And send your Holy Spirit into my heart to guide me and transform my life. I want to see big changes, Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us. I pray now that as we have our invitation, that you will help us all respond uh, to you, our living Lord, on this Easter morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.